finished, I finished the book this week, and I, in this book I read the following rather provocative remark and statement. So the author said this, see what you think about this. The author said, America, the United States is one of the most dangerous places on earth for a Christian to live. The United States is one of the most dangerous places uh, on earth for a Christian to live. You're with me? That's a rather provocative thing to say, isn't it? Um, So what was his rationale uh, for such a statement? Was it the gun culture uh, across the pond? Was it uh, the increase in progressive values or influence of other religions? Is that what it was? No. The author goes on. He says this. The United States is dangerous to Christians because of its affluence. The United States is dangerous to Christians because of its affluence. Do you see? Maybe you do. Our ultimate concern as Christians is not with our safety, is it? And it's not with the longevity of our lives. Our ultimate concern is for the state of our souls, is it not? And do you see the point that he's making? Because of its subtlety, because of its attractiveness, it's very often material prosperity rather than those other threats, material prosperity that very often derails the Christian life. Affluence, the pursuit of affluence, it can be dangerous to the Christian. Well, for the United States, you and I could easily read, couldn't we? London in the 21st century, because look at us, we live in one of the most consumerist Uh, cultures of the law. So here is a thought for us. What about you and me? Are, 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 Are we at risk, do you think? Are you and I being conformed to the materialistic values of the city that we live in? And are we being conformed to those values more than we perhaps realize, more than we know? Are we? Well, this evening what we're going to do is we're going to close our uh, short sermon series on the letters in Revelation. Uh, the letters that we know, because there's seven of them, total number of completion letters that Christ is writing, writing to whom? To all of his churches? Christ Jesus writing these letters even to London City Presbyterian Church. And tonight in here, as we consider the last of these letters... A letter to Laodicea is to that matter that we turn. Really the question of whether or not materialism is actually impairing our effectiveness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Is materialism impairing our effectiveness as witnesses in the city? Okay, can I ask you to turn to uh, Revelation? I nearly said turn to the book of Numbers, but do not do that. Just now, turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 3, page 14, sorry, page 1030, verse 14. And let's consider the first thing we need to notice here, I think, the uh, or a problem of uselessness. That's where we'll go first of all. We see here a problem of uselessness. Right, let's try and get into this. What do we know? We know that... Um, the more that we understand the original context of these letters, the more 
the more we're going to appreciate the text. Isn't that right? That We know this, don't we? The original setting here is key to our understanding. This is, therefore, what I want to do just now. Uh, I want to throw at you four uh, little details about the situation in Laodicea. I want to be your Wikipedia page. If you are to sit at home and type in Laodicea, the city, first, second century, I want to chuck at you four details that you might uh, find. And these are details, mm, these are details that might at first appear a little bit dull, but these are details that will become really important and real, really apparent to us as we work through this sermon. Okay. So even if they seem dull, you've got, you've got to hold these four details. Okay. So what's the deal with Laodicea? First thing. Ready? First thing, Laodicea was famed for its wealth. Okay. That's really easy for us to deal with, isn't it? As Christians in London. I appreciate this. Laodicea sat at a juncture of about two or maybe even three major trade routes in the ancient world. Laodicea was bang, smack bang in the middle. And because of that, it was a city that was famed for its commerce, of course, but it was really famous for its banking, exchange of money going on in Laodicea. And because of this, Laodicea was incredibly rich and a wealthy place so much so and i love this story i really do that when laodicea uh, was hit by an earthquake talking about ad 60 ad 61 big earthquake and it's faced with this rebuilding project rome steps in and rome offers to provide all the money needed to rebuild laodicea and do you know what laodicea said to rome any bother. We've got this sorted. We're loaded. We don't need your money. So Laodicea, you with me? Laodicea is a very, very rich and wealthy place. That's the first thing, okay? You got that one? Second one. Stick with me here. Second detail. Laodicea is famed for, was famed for its black wool. Okay? I um, was recently preaching in Scotland just a couple of weeks ago. And it was in a church that's definitely the most rural uh, situation that I've been in before. And the drive to the church was just the most beautiful thing. So I'd call in an Ellie Rose with me. And we're driving to this church uh, for hours to get there. And driving past all these farms, these hills and farmlands and all these farm animals everywhere. And it was just a beautiful, you see that sort of idea? That's, do you know, that's Laodicea. Laodicea was famed for a special breed of black sheep. Okay. The wool from which was used to made, make a famous garment in the ancient world. I think it's called a trimatea. And it was really, really famous. Everyone in the surrounding area of this trimatea, this black garment. And if you were anyone, you wanted one. Like you wanted this black garment, you know. If you were rich, you were famous, you wanted this, okay? So you're with me thus far. So it's fame for its wealth. And it's fame for its black wool. Look, believe me, it'll come back They'll come back to us. It will. Third thing, Laodicea was famed for its medicine. Like, look at us tonight. Where are we located? We've got Bart's Hospital just at the, the bottom of the street, don't we? In fact, 
I was hoping for an ambulance to go past right at that moment. It didn't quite happen. It will happen at the worst of times. The apex of the sermon will be disrupted by, by an ambulance. But we're located, right? A hospital right in the doorstep. Well, we've got affinity with the Christians in Laodicea. The same thing was true in Laodicea. So it was famed again, famous, renowned for this medicinal center in Laodicea. And in particular, it was famous for this eye ointment that it would make from like crushed rocks. You crush up rocks, make this eye ointment, put it on people, and it was supposed to improve everybody's vision. Everyone's made of 2020 vision if you put this, these rocks in your eyes, okay? So that's Laodicea, right? So we got it. It's wealthy. It's black wool. What else was it? Medicine. Yeah, last one. Now, this is where you're going to look at me and think of just, you know, this is just incredibly dull sound and detail that means everything, and you might not see it immediately. Okay, listen, please, get this one. Laodicea was famed for its lack of water supply. Sounds boring, right? Yeah. But stick with it. Now follow the detail of it, because it's utterly important for us to understand this text, okay? So Laodicea was one of the three main cities in the Lycus Valley. So you had Herapolis. You heard of that? Herapolis. You had Colossae which we've definitely heard of. And then you had Laodicea. Now, walk with me on this. Where Herapolis was famous for this hot spring that piped really hot water into that city. And Colossae was renowned for our lovely cold spring that piped cold water into the city. What's the deal with Laodicea? Laodicea had nothing. Really problematic. And so Laodicea had to rely on this really long aqueduct that pumped water from Herapolis all the way to the, to the city. Now wait for the next details here. This water that would come into Laodicea, first of all, by the time that it came from Herapolis, was lukewarm. Second detail about the water, it became so contaminated in the aqueduct pipes as it came towards Laodicea, that this water was famed around the ancient world for making the residents of Laodicea sick. So this water made people ill. It came in lukewarm, because that's such a distance, and it made... Now, are you still thinking, that's really dull, man. But does it not absolutely alter how we understand this portion of Scripture? Because I'm guessing tonight that lots of us have studied this portion of Scripture. Have we with Laodicea? Have we, we, we studied it in the past? And what do we conclude? We always seem to conclude it's about fervor. Don't we? As though when Jesus Christ says, you're neither hot nor cold, that Christ is lambasting the Laodiceans for their spiritual zeal. And I'm saying to you tonight, that's not what it's about at all. Look at it. Look at verse 15 in light of what I've just said about the water. Look at verse 15. Do you see what the Lord Jesus is doing? He is now actually comparing their works as a church. And what's he comparing that with? He's comparing it with their water. Isn't that what's going on? As though Jesus is saying to you, you Laodicea is like your water. Your Christian service, it's neither hot like your water. It's neither cold like your water. Your Christian service, it's useless. And if you do not yet buy into that, Look at verse 16. Look again, the water supply is in view, isn't it? It's as though Jesus is saying, your works are like your water. 
Your works are so contaminated that like your water, what does Christ want to do? He wants to spit them out of his mouth. Do you see? This is not so much about spiritual fervor, though that's play a little part. This is much more about the uselessness of this church. So the problem of uselessness, the second of all, let's move on. Let's notice that there is here a prognosis of blindness, a prognosis of blindness, okay? Because you're with me and you're probably thinking that it's too vague thus far, is it? Would you agree with me? It's not enough, is it, for me to stand here and say that this church in Laodicea was useless. That's pretty broad. And the useless church. We need to tie it down. What in particular is the problem in this early church? Do you know what I think we can do? I think we've got a skeleton there, don't we? We've got a skeleton. I, I think we can add flesh to this. In fact, I think we can add a couple of different details that really help build up your understanding, my understanding of life. So two details. I'm going to give you the first one. It's this. Most likely, I think, although we do have to infer it, we do have to infer it, but most likely, I think the problem here in Laodicea is their witness in a pagan city. The problem isn't just they're useless, but it's a problem with their witness for Christ. Okay, now, how can, how can we make that conclusion? How can we see that in this text? Well, um, most of you, am I right in thinking most of you have been here for at least some part of this series? Is that right? So look around. Most of you have been, for most of it, or the bulk of it, some of you, most of you have been here for at least one or two of the sermons. Um, so you know, do you, that Christ has been wonderfully uh, structured? Can I say formulaic? Christ has been beautifully formulaic in the structure of each of these letters, hasn't he? Isn't Christ Jesus, you must have noticed that we're at the last letter. You must have noticed by now that he has shaped each of these letters in a very similar way. Hasn't he done that? Yes? Now, let me test you. Can you remember how Jesus begins each of the letters? Do you remember? You do, don't you? That there was that amazing intricate vision of the Son of Man in Revelation 1. Wasn't there that vision of Christ? And do you remember what Jesus does in each of the letters? He takes certain elements of that vision of the Son of Man and he begins each letter with certain different elements. Is that right? It is, isn't it? But it's not quite complete because what Christ actually does is take elements of that short vision that are especially relevant to the church that he's writing to, doesn't he? It's not just Christ randomly picks elements of that vision of the Son of Man. No, he takes elements that are critical, pertinent uh, to these specific churches. So wait a minute, what about Laodicea? Look with me at verse 14. Have a look at verse 14. What's relevant from this vision to Laodicea? Do you, do you see he begins with by saying that these are the words of the Amen. So he's quoting Isaiah 65, and Christ is referring to himself as the God of truth there. Then look at the end of verse 14. So he talks about himself, the beginning of creation, that he is the Alpha. He is the one who is able to attest truth. And then critically, and I really think there's everything here, if we're going to understand this letter, Look at the middle 
of verse 14. Isn't this important? What does Christ say? He says that he speaks of himself as the faithful witness. The true witness. Do you you not see what Jesus Christ is doing? Surely what Jesus Christ is doing in this letter there is contrasting himself as the true witness with the uselessness of the Laodicean witness. Do you see it? I mean, this element is pertinent to them. Why else does Christ begin like that? What he's doing is contrasting himself. He is the great witness, the true witness, and contrasting himself with the Laodiceans who are faithless in their witness to him. So, what am I saying? They're not just useless. They're useless with their witness. But I said, you know, I said two details in this heading. And genuinely, I find the second, the second idea scary. Really scary. You'll see what I mean. Because secondly, we can add flesh to the bones here by saying this, that see these feelings in their witness for Jesus. These feelings went entirely unrecognized by this church. Look with me at verse 17, please. Even the boys and girls, you can have a look at verse 17. I mean, so Christ Jesus has said, you face so much that I want to spit you out my mouth. And then look at this, at verse 17. But you see, look at, look at the attitude that they have. They say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Look at the next bit. Like Jesus is saying, you don't even recognize this a church. You don't even see the fact that you are, what does he say, wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Friends, did you see, despite their incredible feelings as a congregation and as people of God, this church thinks it's doing great. This is a church feeling Jesus Christ and thinking they're doing fine. And why? You must have noticed the mention of riches. Do you see it? These people are assessing themselves in worldly terms. They're engaging their success, not in terms of their faithfulness, not in terms of their witness, not in terms of their holiness. How are they assessing themselves? They're gauging it all on, are they comfortable? Are they wealthy? Are they prospering materially? Like, aren't you with me? Isn't it scary? Isn't it a bit stark? This is a church that's useless, and because of their materialism, they, 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 they do not know. They do not even recognize those feelings. Now, now we, come on, you, you and I, right now, we have to apply this. Don't, don't we have to apply it? And to do that, we've got to uh, deal with the most common problem in portions of Scripture like this when we're talking about riches. Do you know what the most common problem is? We never, ever, ever, ever think about us. Like, I'm not asking you to put your hand up. But if I did, and I said, uh, put your hands up if you regard yourself as being really, really rich. Nobody's <laughs> putting their hands up, okay? We never think like that, and I need, need to drum at home that we are. But you and I just live in, in London in the 21st century. You know, with its transport links and the clothes that we're wearing tonight, and the fact that we've got food in the fridge. The fact that we even own a fridge. You know, if you set us against the, the, the scale of human history, uh, every, do you not see how rich we, we in here are in the top 1%? You know, really, if you set us against all of human history, like the poorest person in here tonight really is probably richer than the richest person that lived in Laodicea. And so where do we go with that? Surely we then have to ponder, 
Is the problem in the church in Laodicea? Is that a problem in the church in London? I mean, is it? Could it be that we are ineffective for Christ Jesus? And could it be as a congregation individually that we are ineffective in our witness? And could it be because we are so utterly contaminated by the consumerism all around us that we don't even know and we don't even recognize? You do see why it's a scary thought, don't you? Isn't it a matter for prayer? So we see a problem of uselessness and we see a prognosis of utter blindness. Thirdly, though, we see a plea for Christ-likeness. And uh, this is embarrassing. But I'm going to go there anyway. Um, When Catherine and I, it's the minister's job to preach the word and also to embarrass his family, isn't it? Uh, When Catherine and I were first married... Um, to try and get some much-needed extra cash. We took second jobs as in a call center. Uh, can you imagine, if you know my wife, can you imagine Catherine cold-calling people? It's a, it's a great idea. Uh, here's the problem. That's not the embarrassing part of the story. I haven't got to the embarrassing part of the story yet. The embarrassing part is that Catherine and I lasted... Uh, less than three hours <laughs> in this job. Less than three hours. Uh, and that was just entirely uh, my fault. I I just couldn't hack it. You know, I couldn't hack the idea of pestering people. Like phone up and annoying people. And that was part of it. But the the other side of it, it was just how futile such a job was. I mean, I can't remember the specific details, but, you know, just roughly the idea that you're, you're supposed to phone up people and try and convince them to change supplier. Like, you know, whether it's the internet or whatever. And you maybe got a really good deal. And it maybe is a really good deal. But you've got to try and phone up somebody. And who is going to really change their supplier over the phone with a cold call? You know, it just seems utterly uh, futile. It seems daft to do it. And yet, now, maybe sir, because I really stand here and think that's the point of the letter to the Laodiceans. Because look at the first seven words of verse 18. This is the heart of the letter, the point of the letter. And look what Jesus says. I counsel you to buy from me. It's so clever. Do you see what he's doing to a materialistic consumerist church? He uses a business metaphor. And do you see what he's saying to them? He's saying, time to change your supplier. He's saying to the Laodiceans, stop buying from the world. Change your supplier. And he's saying to them, time to start doing business with me, the Lord Christ. Time to stop buying from the world and to start buying from me. Now, what do we ask? What do we want to know? We want to know, continue the business metaphor, the materialist metaphor. What is Christ selling? What is Christ offering these people? Will you look at it with me? Look at verse 18. Beautiful detail here. Look at it. What's the first thing? He wants the Laodiceans to, to buy so gold. Look at the, the words, gold refined by fire. What do you think that is? Gold refined by fire. That's spiritual maturity, isn't it? That's what Christ is offering. Do you see what he's saying to them? He's saying to them, stop looking to the world for comfort. Stop being obsessed 
buy comfort and looking to material things for that comfort. Instead, what is Christ saying? He's saying, come to me for maturity, even if that comes through difficulty. Do you see? Even if it comes through the crucible of trial, come to me for maturity. Then look on, look on. Come on, look at verse 18. Carry on. What's the next thing Christ is offering them? You see it? How can they not buy from him? He wants to sell them white garments to hide their shame. And now, ha, now it all makes sense. Doesn't it? Now all those details at the beginning come into play, don't they? Do you see what Christ is saying to these people? They're obsessed. We want Trimatea. We want this black woolen garment. Everyone's trying to save for this. And Christ is saying, don't do that. Forget your black garments. Come to me for white garments of holiness and purity. Do you see it? Spiritual maturity. Come to me for spiritual purity too. And then the last one. Look at the last one. Come on, keep going. Yes, he counsels them to buy, what is it, ointment, salve, that they might see. And again, (laughs) remember the medicine stuff, right? You see the point? Don't be like the rest of the city. Don't be obsessed with trying to sell your ointment and crushing your stones, trying to make a quick buck. What's he saying? No, forget that. Come to me. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ for vision. To see things and to see this world as it really is. Come for spiritual maturity, spiritual maturity, spiritual maturity, purity, and spiritual sight. Now again, we have to apply this. We have to think and consider this through for ourselves. I, do you know what? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we know the answer to the question that we're posing tonight. Are we more contaminated by materialism and consumerism than we should be? We know the answer to that, do we? I think we are. We are. And so what must we do? Surely tonight, if confronted by that, we must repent of our sin. We must ask God to show us that sin, that failing. But I want to be more specific. And I want to say and ask you as a congregation this week to pray through Revelation chapter 3. And I want to ask you that with your families, if that is you, with your spouse, if you have one, and individually to pray and ask the Lord Jesus Christ for these things, to change your supplier and pray to God and ask him for maturity, even if it has to be refined by fire, and pray for spiritual purity and pray for spiritual sight. And then we're going to close with a fourth thing. I wonder if you got them all. Did you get them all? I'll give you them again. Uh, a problem of uselessness, a prognosis of blindness, a plea for Christ-likeness, and then we just end, we close our Lord's Day, fourthly, with a promise of closeness. A promise of closeness. <laughs> there are, is this not true? There are um, phrases from the Bible that are really common that we hear used all the time, that upon closer inspection of that text, we find they don't actually mean <laughs> what we think they mean. You see it? Like phrases that you might hear prayed even from a pulpit, and phrases that we use all the time from the Bible, and actually we dig into it a bit, and we think, oh, I've been using this wrong for years. Let me give you a couple of examples. You know that idea where two or three are gathered our God will be also the one that we always love to use in the God's presence and worship. 
that's not about worship. I mean, it's, it's taken from Matthew 18, and it's actually about church discipline. Okay, so it's, it's the promise that when there are two or three witnesses, then gods will be involved in that uh, situation. It's not about worship at all. We, we get that wrong, right? Uh, the other one of the Holy Spirit will give us words to say. You know, that idea, we use that in witnessing. You know, just go out and evangelize. The Holy Spirit will give you words to say. Yes. Again, Luke 23. Is it Luke 23, I think? Maybe it's not. I'm going to look. Is it Luke 23? It's not. Just as well I checked. Luke chapter 12. And that is actually a promise about the court that if we are arrested and we're under trial, persecuted as Christians, it's there that God promises that the Holy Spirit will actually give us the words uh, to say. Do you see the idea though? Phrases that we get a wee bit out of kilter and yeah, okay, I wonder, do we have something like that tonight? Because we know, if you've been here for the sermon series, we know not only how Jesus begins these letters, we all know how Jesus ends these letters, don't we? Don't we? How Jesus always ends with this promise to those who persevere and conquer. Don't we know that? Beautiful promises. And we could focus on the very last thing that Jesus says there. You notice what it is? He promises that one day those who persevere and conquer will reign with him. There is this lovely eschatological honor coming to you, persevering Christian. We could focus there, but instead, here we go. End with this. Look at verse 20. <laughs> Look at verse 20. You see it? Let me read it to you. Christ says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will eat with him and he with me. So again, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will eat. Now, what do we, what do we normally do with that? Come on, what do we normally do with that? Before I stand at the door and knock, if anyone hears my voice, I'll come in. What do we do? Do we not very often tend to apply that to the unbelieving person? Is that not right? I mean, is that not your clarion call of sort of broad evangelicalism, isn't it? Like, God is knocking at your door tonight. If you just open the door and ask Jesus into your life, you know, open the door. He's that Jesus knocking at your door. Just invite him in. Don't we do that? Don't, don't get me wrong. If you're not a Christian here tonight, we are desperate for you to understand that Christ is the truth and the life. But what's the problem? The problem is that that is not a promise. That is not to the unbeliever. That that is Christ writing to the Laodicean church. Yeah, if you think about that for just a moment and that promise, is it not all the more spectacular that that is Christ speaking to the Laodiceans? I mean, these are people in a sense of failing him that he has just said that he wants to spew them out of his mouth. And yet, what does Christ do? He shows them mercy. Doesn't he? He gives them this chance. He promises them intimacy. Christ truly does love those he reproves. Doesn't he? And so I end with this. I, I, a question for you all. What are you going to do with this text? Come on. What are you going to do with this portion of scripture tonight in this sermon? Surely it is true that we are more affected by materialism than we realize than we ought to be. And yet, Christ tonight in his word, says what to you, Christian friend? That he is at the door of your heart. 
Christ Jesus knocking at the door of your heart tonight. He is promising you fuller intimacy, fellowship, greater fellowship with you tonight. The Lord Christ promising you. What are you going to do? Surely it is this evening. You bow, you pray, and you open that door and you invite Christ in. Because what's this about? Come on. This is about being effective witnesses for Jesus Christ. And do we not desperately desire to do that? Do we not all all the more want to point people to the one who through his blood, what was it he can offer riches? The one through his atoning work, he can clothe people from their shame with white garments through his beautiful resurrection to life. What can Christ do? He can give people sight to see the very glory of God. So what do we do? We turn from our materialism. We learn from Laodicea. And tonight, surely, we do business with the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, let's bow and let's pray. Lord our God, we see all very well how that though this is entitled to the church in Laodicea, that this is very much a letter to the church in London. And Lord God, we know that we are living in a banking center We are living with riches. We are a people who perhaps look at our lives and are relaxed. We do not see how pitiful and poor and blind we are. And so we are so grateful for your grace. We are grateful, Lord God, that our salvation is dependent on what you have done and not on us. But we ask that you would help us to live for you. Would you give us maturity? Would you give us purity? Would you give us spiritual sight to see things as they really are? Lord God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.